Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, there won't be any surprise to most that performance media is getting more attention than usual in the current economic conditions. And a big chunk of that gets ploughed into organic and paid search. It's happening just as the sector is facing seismic change as generative AI does its upending sweep for tens of thousands of companies which work consumer intent and discovery, mostly via Google. But that might change. And if that's not enough, new search developments which blend natural and conversational models and a change in Google's algorithm which rewards organic results for brands using content to prime or acquire customers are some of the themes we're going to cover today with a couple of specialists at the coalface of all this performance marketing stuff. We're also going to dabble in the rapid developments underway in econometric and media mix modelling. How brands and agencies use it is often flawed, according to Atomic 212's head of performance media, Sasha Bonamoli. Sasha is joined by the head of organic search at Atomic 212, Stephen Downward. They're here loaded with some insight into what's happening in paid and organic search currently and the wave of AI-powered change that's coming at us very, very quickly. So welcome, gents. Looking forward to this one because I might learn a bit. Um, Sasha, we might start with you first. and Let's start with the obvious, really. It's AI. Everyone's talking about it. Both of you say, actually, it's it's already starting to shift um, how search is done and what's coming at sort of the whole search category. What do you mean, Sasha, by this? And why does it really matter for marketers and brands? And, and welcome, Sasha. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen search in the news for a while, really. It's kind of been one of those channels that's gone under the radar, even though it's had a decent amount of budgets, but everyone's kind of talking about it again. Um, And I think it will change how we use search going forward in different ways. I know even yesterday I used ChatGPT about five different times for different research questions. So I think it really is going to be something that we'll get used to. For now, it's it's being used right at that kind of research phase. And, you know, it's being talked about as the next big thing. But even Google, who probably could have moved and introduced their own AI into their search engine, they've sort of stopped and taken a bit of a step back and waited a little bit. And I think that's quite telling as well as to where it's heading and what it's actually being used for at the moment. I don't think Google are seeing this as something where their revenue is going to be hit immediately. It's something that it will, it will come later down the track. Sasha, just give us a sense, though, of where the research and the testing has been done then and what, you know, search in a year's time or two or three years' time uh, or even sooner, right? you'd know more about this than me, but what could it look like? What does it look like? What changes? Yeah, so I think people are using the sort of chat GPT side of search at the moment for quite research driven searches. So I think there's like a stat that 15% of searches are always unique. That's the latest one I could find. That might be a bit dated, but it goes to show you some of the queries then that they're always different. So it's being used for more niche things at the moment. It's being used for research, things like things to do in in the city, um, recipes, things like that even reviews of products. So it's kind of top funnel stuff at the moment. So 
that's where it's currently at and that's not going to impact your sort of core revenue driving searches that are lead based or revenue based so at the moment it's quite it's quite research heavy so that's not going to affect google too much at the moment but it is interesting because there's going to be a question about sourcing where that information comes from if you're generating text that's from people's websites that they own that content then you're going to have some people pushing back on it so think about the news media bargaining code from a couple of years ago where the news sites were claiming that google was benefiting more from listing their websites than they were getting from having their websites listed if the results that are being generated by this ai are not sourcing properly then there are going to be complaints and the first people to, that will complain will be the, the the news outlets yes those bloody journalists and editors painful aren't they <laughs> um i guess the um the question though is for me is why did google put a pause on integrating ai into its current search engine what's behind that sasha so i think the main reason because they could have done this years ago they've they've got the technology they could have developed it they've been developing it the number one reason is brand safety. They're concerned that people are going to be searching for things on their chat and it's going to return results that seems like it's coming from Google and Google's recommending things that it doesn't want to recommend. So the number one concern I think for them is, uh, is brand safety. The other thing will be how are they crediting and how are they driving traffic to the website? Because it's a mutual agreement, right? You list your website on Google they send you traffic to your website, you generate impressions and therefore revenue. So for a lot of those sites that generate revenue from ad impressions, you need to serve an impression. If you're not sending people, if they're generating all of the answers on one page without sending traffic there, then it's not a mutually beneficial arrangement anymore. Mm. And so just going back though, I was interested when you said, you know, 15% of searches are research or are unique and things that are being talked about, searched on in, in say ChatGPT, is things like recipes, but recipes is a big search revenue generator because there's so many publishers that are, or even brands that are trying to get the content side of it, use content to get you to the website. So I'd imagine there'd have to be a little bit of impact there, Sasha. Yeah, it's a good point. There probably will be some impact. I think at the moment it's quite um, it's quite new. So not as many people are using it to make a blip. Think about how many searches there are every day. It, you get a tiny percent of those going through that are actually searching Francis on say Bing or ChatGPT instead of Google. It's it's not going to be noticeable just yet. Those traffic numbers aren't going to be recognizable from the publishers either. Um, mm. I think it's it's something that people are still getting used to. Okay, so Stephen, let's go to you run organic search or SEO as they call it um, in the game. Where's your take on what's happening with AI in, in your world, Stephen? And, and welcome. So I'm just going to pick up on something that Sasha mentioned, and um, thanks for having me on board, by the way. Um, and he kind of mentioned around um, a pause we'd seen in Google, and we knew that kind of with um, ChatGPT, there'd been a flurry of interest. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people in the market were kind of thinking about, you know, Google's going to die and, and lose market share and all these kind of things. And, you know, of, of course, that's not going to happen. We did see a response from Google quite quickly in um, that they released BARD, Yes. Bard was kind of a bit of a failure and, and see, received some pretty bad reviews. And for the same reason that Google would be so concerned about brand safety in that if we were, you know, if we were using the Bard engine, it threw out some pretty wild ideas. For example, if I was looking for things around, you know, 
um, should I buy backlinks to, 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 you know, to build equity into my website? Um, it was telling us things like, yeah, you should be doing those kind of things and what kind of backlinks you should be buying. And obviously that's very bad advice. And that was across a broad spectrum. So I think they kind of rushed that to market and, and, and suffered a little bit from a PR perspective. But um, I think um, taking that extra time, they've got, um, you know, in their kind of upcoming release, um, there's you know been discussions around Magi, which we don't know a lot about to date, but we do know that it's going to move from more of a conversational AI into a hyper-personalization uh, engine. So while it will incorporate areas of um, you know kind of like that kind of you know natural language kind of conversation chat GPT, um, it's going to be based heavily on personalization in your search history, and which obviously you know Google already does to some degree, and that it will show you kind of you know similar um you know similar landing pages or you know kind of suggest your next click or your next search but that'll happen from a product perspective so they'll be looking at things like product recommendations directly within the natural search results um, so it's going to be quite a um a different approach and and obviously you know for google they have a large amount of revenue to to protect so they'll be thinking about how they can integrate advertising directly into that and i think that's where you'll see things as well like Sasha mentioned where you'll have the opportunity to kind of reference brands that are perhaps you know, creating recipes for cocktails and, and those kind of things. And the way I kind of think about how we should see it evolve or what we're likely to see is that now if you search for something, you'll often see those kind of rich snippets in, in Google search results uh, where you'll see yes. kind of instant answers. You're probably going to see something like that, but um, on steroids, so to speak. Got it. And time frame around this, Stephen, what, what is your sense on when this starts to roll out? You said there's an update coming when? Yeah, so Magi is being released to a million US users this month, um, and they're planning to roll it out to 30 million by the end of the year. So I think, you know, in terms of like overall time frame, it's actually, it's actually pretty quick, but I guess there's going to be quite a bit of learning from that initial million kind of, you know, push into the market. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. Just give us an example of how that might change uh, for in a category sector or for a brand, Stephen, or even what you do. How would you go about things differently as Magi wheels out its intelligence magic? Yeah, and I think, you know, Google to some degree has, you know, this underlying or this technology, is, it's almost like surfacing the technology for users. The technology has already been there. They use natural language processing, large language models to kind of understand consumer intent, to go to people's websites and look at the structure of a website and pull out answers into search, right? So I think there's going to be a, a bigger focus on things like structured data and having you know, making sure your, your website has a conversational kind of tone to it where you're giving clear kind of Q&A answers. And we do this with our clients where if there's questions, like if there's you know, Google searches that are more question-based, we'll make sure that within the content we're trying to an answer that in a very succinct way so that Google can kind of grab that and then surface it into their search engines. And I think that's going to play a large role around how people are optimizing their websites. Okay, and so either or of you really, I mean, maybe Stephen uh, on this one as well. When we, you know, we've talked about this earlier, there's a lot of interest and activity from brands in around content and content marketing, primarily to sort of help keep driving the, you know, the marketing funnels we know at the top and the consideration and awareness through to conversion and some sort of action or purchase uh, at the bottom of the funnel. Content is sort of being seen increasingly, uh, and it's been around for a long time, I know, but it seems to be a lot of conversation at the moment around content being worked into that funnel. There are changes going on even with the current Google's current search algorithms on what gets surfaced and what it, what it rates, Stephen. What's going on there? Yeah, so I think, it, again, it kind of comes down to trust. And, you know, there's, um, there's an acronym from Google called EAT, which we probably, many in the SEO industry would have heard of, um, which is, you know, expertise, authority, and trust. Recently, Google added another E to that, which is experience. 
And essentially what that is, is kind of a response to what they might consider to be like fake news to some degree or, or low quality content and things, especially in like your money, your life kind of websites where you're talking about finance and those kind of things. When they talk about experience, they're talking about industry experts commenting and providing guidance on websites so that Google can kind of see that content on your site. Um, and essentially go, okay, this author has worked for 15 years in the finance industry. We are fairly sure that we can trust that they have a, a strong track record in giving information and providing um, you know, content that consumers can trust. And while it was more specifically to the your money, your life kind of industry, we're seeing that in a broader sense across the web in general where Google is just looking looking for that long-term kind of experience. And, and years ago, Google had a, um, an author snippet, which they you could put on your website to kind of prove who you were and, and demonstrate your expertise. And they, and they took that away because um, essentially they can track, you know, they know who I am. They know if I write SEO articles across the web. And over time, they can kind of see, you know, if I'm producing a certain amount of content that's um, demonstrating ex experience and expertise, they're going to rank me more highly. So I think from a content marketing perspective, these kind of 500 word blogs and, and you know, relatively low quality content where we're just trying to feed the machine from an SEO perspective simply won't really have any impact. It's going to be that kind of longer form content that's really well researched and brands are going to need to put more money into developing like unique content for users because one, Google's going to want to surface that content because it provides real user value and ultimately that's the job of the search engine, right? To service content that consumers want to read because Google wants you to spend more time on their search engine. But the flip side of that is with this, we don't know the exact impact of what will happen in terms of website visits. Um, so again, that kind of like creating more content that's like of a, that's more engaging and offers something unique is going to provide um, more opportunity for users to get to your website and actually experience the website and enjoy a better user experience and hopefully spend more time in your website. Can you give us a live example of that, Stephen? I mean, obviously, I love names, and if you can name a client that you're doing it for, but if not, just uh, you know, in and around a sector of what you've done to sort of address or meet the new the, these new sort of ratings requirements, if you like. Yeah, exactly. I'll give you an example, and um, I've kind of spoken to the, to them before, and we've worked with News with News Corp in recently building um, they've built out a comparison. Um, component of their of their brand, which is comparing credit cards and home loans and those kind of things. And initially, when we came on board, um, you know, the first couple of months was just deep diving into audience intent and kind of how the market's moving and how what questions people are you know asking about you know, nervousness in the market. How can I kind of you know what, what what should I could be considering at this current stage in the market with buying a home loan or you know getting a personal loan a credit card you know ultimately you know our goal is to to get people to click through to banks and you know sign for a credit card and those kind of things but from a kind of um, financial standpoint we created a lot of in depth um, we worked with a content marketing team and people who are very experienced in the industry to create a lot of really detailed kind of informative content over a number of uh, over the first few months and I think we created like three hundred articles. They invested heavily in, you know, into um, into content marketing in order to build that kind of relevance in market across the different niches in terms of like, you know, personal finance. And um, and it's really like in the end, it was building that expertise around the topic as a whole um, and, and investing heavily at the top of the funnel, which was able to kind of then funnel into um, building a successful, successful product. And without that, um, you know, we would never start to compete with brands like Finder and those kind of things. Right. And so just an example quickly, though, what was the copy or how was the content different in that round you did to what might have been done prior? Uh, so we were working with um, financial like editors and experts in the space to go through and kind of 
I guess, sense checked, fact check, um, and ensure that it is accurate. And also when you're posting the content, we are sharing who was the author and editor of that content and allowing Google to go, okay, hey, the people auditing and editing this content have been working in the finance industry for 15, 20 years. Um, and Google can see a long history of expertise and publishing over time and go, hey, this person wrote content for iSelect five years ago, and they ranked that content, and it was um, trustworthy. They're writing content for this brand now. It's the same person. They can kind of see a historical perspective about quality and, and quality and, um, and, I guess, thought leadership and expertise across that topic, yeah. So, listen, you mentioned about top of the funnel, and this is where we get into some of the interesting stuff that's going on in, in, in paid and particularly organic search uh, for content and playing a role in the marketing funnel, what's happening? What are you seeing uh, on your side, Stephen, on this? More more briefs coming in for that in general? What's your take on that side of the market? Yeah, absolutely. Google has, you know, despite what we've kind of seen and what change we might see with AI, every year Google has been sending more and more traffic to websites globally. And, uh, you know, I think we're kind of seeing at this stage at the moment where content marketing seems to be making um, a bit of a comeback. And I kind of was like Sasha was, you know, was mentioning about paid search coming back into the into the conversation. You know, content marketing was, you know, five, ten years ago was kind of, you know, content is king was all the conversation kind of thing. But I think brands are starting to realize the importance of building, I guess, a strong industry or, you know, relevance in their topic um, through the funnel. And consumers do. They're asking, like, you know, 15, like Sasha mentioned, I think that stat's spot on. It's like 15% of, of queries are brand new every day. And the number of long form or question kind of content makes up about 70% of all search, um, that long tail search. So while, of course, we want to rank for you know, those key terms that you'd maybe bid on in paid search, um, from an SEO perspective, there's a huge swathe opportunity for um, you know, consumers. They ask a lot of questions and, about your brand and your products and just the market in general. And that's where we see um, the biggest opportunity. Yeah. So, Stephen, what are the people preferring when they get a search result? Are they clicking more on organic or more on paid? Ooh, good question. <laughs> and I can see Sasha looking at me. Ah, mm. um, uh, yes, I know. I was going to say, look, can I start a little bit of a war between you two or something, possibly? I think I looked recently. I think it, it, when there are when there's when there's paid listings and shopping ads together, organic still makes up close to sixty percent of the clicks. So it's still the majority, even when there is uh, an abundance of ads being served. What does that say, Sasha? I think it comes back to the trust. People tend to have a bit more trust that if you rank first or second organically, that you're there for a reason, whereas you can pay to appear in the top three slots if you have enough money. So it comes back to that, essentially. It's, I was thinking of the analogy when, when you're searching for a product as well, and you go through to a website and say it recommends 10 products and every product has a link, an Amazon affiliate link, and you, you lose confidence in that review because the, what, why is that being written? It's to generate money rather than to give a unbiased opinion and i think that's what stephen was mentioning it's it's all about how much authority does that site have and how much do people trust it well it's interesting you bring it up and i'll throw it at you guys because a personal experience on this was i don't know a year or two ago maybe a year ago when i decided uh, because i'm old and and not very fit i thought i'd better start doing something about it and i started doing some research on a rowing machine and the big problem there it's a really good example where every search result came up, it was essentially affiliate marketing because it was a review that had a link and then you go to the link and it was they gave you three or four 
options for rowing machines and all of them were different, all of them giving their top 10. And I actually, I stopped and I actually ended up going to some YouTube video, some dude in the US talking about stuff and because it wasn't, it wasn't a sort of an affiliate link. And that, I found that quite frustrating because I knew that there was commercial stuff going on there. And I guess that's what you're talking about, Sasha. Yeah. And I think I saw a stat recently that was like 40% of Gen Zers are using TikTok and Instagram to start their research. So I think there's definitely an element of that that comes through from search is is quite bloated and and often you don't know what the reason someone is writing that article is for and it's a lot easier to trust someone who you can see what they're talking about they're making recommendations but they don't have they don't have links to that no sorry i was just going to add to to what sasha was saying and that um even in January, we saw a um, an algorithmic update from Google, which is focused on on just that and um, looking at review websites, which are just focused on affiliate marketing and, and monetization. And you know, Google's kind of aware of that bloating and that distrust. And you know, that this whole thing about their search engine is they want to have great user experiences, right? And 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 provide a trusted experience for their users. So if if you if they have a sense that users are kind of moving or shifting or if maybe they're looking elsewhere for more trusted opinions, then um, they do tend to take action. And I haven't looked to see what the impact of this algorithm update is, but they'll be looking to downrank sites, which are just purely based on monetization. Really interesting. Okay, so Sasha, we, we better move this thing along. We've got um, about 20 minutes left. Give us a sense more broadly in what's happening to search and performance media budgets, uh, at least in your client portfolio. What are you seeing and what's driving those trends? Obviously, you know, the talk, as we said at the top, was uh, there's more interest and discussion around search and performance media because of the, perhaps because of the economic conditions. What are you seeing? Yeah, we're seeing probably a 50-50 split between budgets staying the same and budgets increasing. I, I think globally, about 5% uh, of, of budgets are reducing, but I, ha- I haven't seen that typically across our client patch. And so you'd expect more because of the economic conditions, but the companies that are increasing, the, the, the companies that are either decreasing or line ball, what's behind their rationale for their spend direction? So the, the main reason is search is, it's part of your channel mix, right? But it's the way it functions is slightly different. There's no other channel where someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm looking for this thing right now. So it's sort of a default that people will include. And it makes sense. It's very measurable as well. You put $1 in, you get $2 out. So search budgets are safe and they're, they're kind of the safest, especially when we enter a time when, you know, the economy is not looking as strong. Inflation prices are going up, things like that. You will see revenue for companies decreasing but search budgets remaining flat and that's because there's a there's a hyper focus on making a profit right now and and search is one of the best if not the best channel to do that mm. you do say though Sasha that search can be a curse because it is so measurable um what what do you mean by that yeah so search is like going back to that dollar in dollar out it, it's seen as very much that's that's all that it takes care of rather than does it serve a function, say, higher up the funnel? Does it serve a function in getting people familiar with your brand? It's almost seen differently to organic search. So West even is trying to you know, get more people through to the, the content sections of websites, trying to grow, trying to increase rankings or trying to grow traffic. Search is about how much revenue can we get right now. And that can almost be to the detriment of a fu- full funnel strategy. How do you see that? So give us an example. So an example would be how paid search might be used. So now you can 
you can basically bid towards anything. You can bid towards traffic, revenue, leads, sales, margin even is one of the the latest that, that we're starting to see a shift towards people bidding towards the margin of, of certain products. And there's a slight flaw in, the, in that methodology in that if you think about traditional advertising, the goal is to get people into your store, let's say, and you'll use whatever means necessary. So you'll pick a product that might be really low margin, but will drive people to your store and they'll then go and purchase separately. Search is kind of similar to that, but isn't treated the same. So you want to get people to your site so that they will not only purchase that low margin product, but they'll buy from your store. They're also now a customer, so they have a lifetime value associated with that. So think about JB Hi-Fi who sells iPhones. The, the, the margin on an iPhone, I imagine, is minimal for JB Hi-Fi. But once they've got you as a customer or that- Like or publishing, Sasha. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of, I, I think they're treated differently, but they're, they're the same thing. And actually, if you, if you Google iPhone, you'll see Officeworks, you'll see JB Hi-Fi. They all list iPhones. The reason is they want to get you to become a customer. They want you to buy all of the other products that they sell that are higher margin. So it's a curse in the sense that it's, it's hyper measurable and it all, it gets treated slightly different to how we know marketing should be done in general. Right. And so the instance there, if you're going on, I guess, yield or margin and you're promoting a high volume product, it's not the high margin product. Uh, it's not the high margin that any of those retailers would get, but they, they are flipping the priority. Is that what you're suggesting? Essentially, yeah. Like if you, if you, if you look at TV advertising for even a Woolies, for example, they're going to put all of the things that are on offer that week in their ads to get you to go and shop and then they'll sell everything else. That's, that's kind of how it's done. So at, on the flip side, they're not going, well, we're not going to sell that thing that's on offer and put it in our shopping ads in paid search because it's low margin. They're going to use that right. to get people through to the site. So, um, But you're saying they should do that? They should, yeah. Yeah, because it's a, it's a tonnage play. It gets more people in and then get them to the higher margin stuff once they're in the store. Got it. Exactly. Um, so, listen, it does sort of lead us into media mix modeling and econometrics. And, and you're saying you think there's some – there's some flaws in the way many in the industry are using it. What what do you mean by that? Because obviously it's sort of having a bit of a, again, search is back. Well, uh, econometrics and market mix modeling is making a bit of a resurgence too, Sasha. Yeah, it is. And I think I've seen a lot more, a lot more brands taking up media mix modeling and using that to make decisions. And that's, I think, where I see a slight flaw is that the media mix modeling should be used to inform decisions, but it's being used as the be all and end all to solve the problems. The media mix model says this, therefore we're going to invest in this. And a lot of common sense I've seen has kind of gone out the window. So I'll give you an example. The way that a media mix model works is that we'll take all of your inputs. So it's only as strong as your inputs are. And it will say, these are the ones that had the most impact on your sales. You're essentially correlating what you did with sales. So over the last couple of years, we've seen a big uptake in people using media mix models and they'll they'll correlate what they spent, when they spent it, on what channels to revenue. Over the last two years, the main driver of online revenue was whether we were or weren't in lockdown. That's that correlation is like nearly one. It's like it's so high. But it's not being factored in. So I've seen media mix models that will say you need to spend in July, August and September because that's when we spent X amount and we got Y back. That's not the reason why so much revenue was driven in those three months. It's because no one was leaving the house. 
So right. there are other things that are slightly – that's an obvious example, but there are other – But that's happening are, because you'd think that's a fairly sort of – to your point, that's a fairly sort of common sense scenario to factor in for in your, in your modelling though, right? It is, and that one, to be honest, I'm sure people are looking at that and saying, actually, that makes no sense. But there are other examples where, which might not be being looked at, um, and, and one of them is the – did your revenue grow because you were you increased in your spend in a certain channel or did or the effectiveness of the channel or did the effectiveness of the channel grow because of the revenue it's kind of the flip side it's cause and effect so for example if we look at brand searches if you spend more in brand search you drive more revenue but if you're doing all your other activity it's going to drive more brand searches so within the model they, there there's effects on that that are happening across all of the different inputs and that's where it takes a little bit of insight and common sense and and kind of using the model as a guidance and then applying what you know is true on top of that so sasha there's also both you and steven talk about sort of a, a more of a focus on how paid search and organic search are working together what do you what do you mean by that so a lot of the time you'll have a paid listing and, a, and an organic listing that appear together so one thing that we're trying to solve for is what's the incremental impact of having a paid ad. So a lot of the work that myself and Stephen are doing at the moment is trying to measure where we can either save money. So when we don't need to appear for a paid ad and we can let organic pick that up or on the flip side where our organic rankings may not be as high and it makes sense for us to have a paid ad, which is going to drive incremental incremental impact. They're the kind of two ways that we, we, we see mm. integrated search at the moment. And we've done a few tests across both of them. And is there any patterns? What are you seeing? The main thing that we're seeing is what kind of everyone knows within search, which is that brand searches don't drive that much incremental impact. That We've been testing this for 10, 15 years. I think it's kind of a given, but it's uh, it's always good to update your numbers. On the flip side, though, we're trying to look at what that is from a generic search. So your brand isn't specified in the search. What What's the incrementality of having a, a paid ad versus an organic ad? So that is probably where the most interesting things are happening. Mm. Actually, I I did have, a, I saw a really interesting thing the other day where there was a brand search being done. And over the Easter period, a news site came in and had a opening times article. So people were searching for the brand and what times it was open and it it actually got about 20% of the clicks for that brand and so there was no impact to the organic ranking it was still number 1 but our paid listing became more expensive so i think that there is some mechanism that is underlying that says a strong organic presence has a beneficial impact on your cost and CPCs and quality scores. There was, it's kind of been theorized before. Um, that was the first time I'd seen it as clear evidence. I definitely want to do some more uh, research in the next few months to see if it's true. You talked about sort of um, the paid search size. What about paid search inflation, Sasha, in terms of the cost per acquisition, customer acquisition, or whatever dimensions, what's going on with the inflationary impact in search? Is it rising or is there some across sectors? Give us a sense. It is rising. I think it right, goes up every year. It will continue to until search is a self-regulating economy. So in a sense, there is there is a cap where it becomes unprofitable for a business to appear in search. So you can't let it run too high. 
And actually, I think that's why Google, their rhetoric is more around, well, what's the lifetime value of a customer? Because obviously the the ROI on, on lifetime value is much higher than a single sale. And one of the reasons for that is because paid search is in some verticals, the ROI on paid search is, is minimal. It's one or negative, but there is value beyond that. So CPCs are going up. They will continue to go up, I think. It's clever of Google to amortize the cost of its upfront click to a lifetime value. It's smart stuff, isn't it? They're very clever, aren't they? And is the market buying that? I think so. Is it, the funny thing I saw actually um, from Google was that they were all about just let Google run everything for you and it's all automated and it's amazing. And actually since Bing have come out with their whole fancy AI Google is now saying, actually, it needs some human oversight, and it's more about <laughs> informing decisions, not doing everything for you. So they've changed, um, they've changed their tune a bit. Um, so yeah, market dynamics. Don't you love competition? Yeah, Stephen, your your thoughts on on some of the stuff that Sasha's talking about there, and what you're seeing on your side of the fence. Yeah, it's an interesting one with the relationship between paid search and and organic search, and um, it's kind of. There's been a long, um, you know, a long-standing argument around the relationship between, um, you know, paid search clicks um, generated and a potential impact from an organic or SEO perspective, um, and you know, a lot of SEOs kind of throw that yes or no, there's no relationship, and um, there's been testing done, and people are like, oh no, we don't see that correlation. But from my experience, working with some some large e-commerce brands, every year, and I'll give you an example. We work with a brand called Adairs, where every year in November they'd have a massive sale and they would spend a huge amount of money um, in generating paid search clicks and paid media to the site. And during that time period, that um, increase in traffic um, and then you know consumers um, going to the site and engaging with the products. During that same time period, we'd see our organic traffic explode. We'd see the number of ranking keywords we have, in, you know, double. Um, and we'd see, like, you know, and the moment the sale ended, we'd see our rankings drop back down again. And this, like, you know, from from my perspective, if you're, while it's not always, the correlation isn't always clear, like, if it's more so that if, if you're spending money um, in advertising and driving traffic to the site, regardless of the, of the source, and those users are converting, because they like your product and you have a good product and they're having a great web experience, then certainly that has a direct impact. It very much appears to have a direct impact on your organic search rankings and, and visibility. Interesting. It's a moving feast, isn't it? Well, listen, we're almost done. We've got to wind this thing up, um, gents. So, listen, with that, um, to both of you, why don't you just give us your, uh, each of you give us your sort of final two to three takeouts on what to watch for the rest of the year for 2023. Um, we'll start with you, Stephen. What are sort of some core things that you think that brands and marketers should be you know, aware of in, in this area? Uh, yeah, so it's going to be um, some dramatic changes in search um, for sure in terms of um, you know, search engine and Google. And I think it's just going to be for marketers to really keep their ear to the ground um, and looking at, 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 at metrics. Like there's definitely going to be some changes in how consumers are engaging with, um, with search. And I think, you know, the fact of things like this, you know, Magi is going to become a hyper-personalized, that, can, that brands should be thinking about that as well. They should be thinking about personalization um, you know, user experience on their site. Like, why would I want? Why would a consumer want to come to my website? Like, I've, you've got to start creating a unique value proposition, creating got great content, um, and start thinking about retention as well. Um, you know, things around kind of programs and and whether that's like you know maybe running programs or whatever it might be. But getting consumers to keep coming back to your website um, is going to kind of be key in terms of um, maintaining um, you know maintaining or growing traffic. Good stuff, Sasha. Your final thoughts. I think for me, it's um, I would watch the space, but not necessarily 
need to react too quickly. You know, you don't want to become the next chief metaverse officer for the sake of it. Um, <laughs> you ca- you kind of um, have a look at what's going on, and 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 it's fine to sort of be a bit a bit reactive to to the changes. Um, and the, and the second would be to kind of use search as part of that full funnel activity. We know that brands who maintain that level within a recession, not that we're in one, they come out of it stronger. So I think that would be the two main ones. Great stuff. Well, Sasha and Stephen, thanks for joining. I'm going to go away and do my homework now and see what I can do for MI3 in search because um, I think we're way undercooked. So thanks for joining, gents. And um, I'm sure we'll hear some, we'll have another conversation about this um, at the end of the year and see whether what's emerged in AI. Stay safe. Thank you. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.